Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. Go to SoccerAmerica.com and sign up for your subscription today. And by Nella from Fitbiomics. The Harvard doctor has found the probiotic strain that is found in most world-class athletes. Not all probiotics are the same. More information on all our sponsors at OverTheBall.com slash sponsors. Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247. Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn and Chris Chamonix. Coming to you today. It's like, not even bi-coastal Chamonix. It's like, I'm in Scotland. You're in Los Angeles. We are by what? Half the hemisphere, I think we are uh, We are at. Coming to you uh, today. Got, got to talk to you, man, about the Leeds United game uh, against Chelsea. What a wild, wild game. Uh, I was so happy for Jesse Marsh. I got to tell you something. I'm watching it here at a place called The Globe where they have all kinds of football on. And um, the place is just going nuts. I mean, apparently a lot of Leeds supporters here or just sort of anti-Chelsea supporters, I'd say. It's sort of like people who root against Manchester United. People just like uh, like they root against the Yankees, let's say, in America. But what an amazing atmosphere. Allen Road, uh, Jesse Marsh. Yeah, it's early. It's early, but he seems to at least have the boys believing in what he's doing. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, a big game. Uh, everyone here is talking about it. And, you know, a huge American presence. It ends with Tyler Adams wrapping himself in the American flag. And so there's just a really big kind of statement game for the Premier League here in America uh, and for all of us fans to, to, you know, if you're not really growing up with a certain type of team in the Premier League, it's a great opportunity to jump in on this train because there's so many Americans here. But yeah, Jesse gets there late last year, replaces Bielsa, um, gets a few games under his belt and salvages them from relegation. So there's that. But now he's got a full preseason and he's lost a few players, fair enough. But he's also brought in a bunch of people that he knows and he's worked with before, which is uh, something that's important in terms of the locker room and also creating a way of playing. And that first half was absolutely remarkable. And Jesse's got the stadium bought in. He's got the fans bought in. He's got the players bought in. So who's to say they can't stay in the top 10? You know what it reminded me of, Chris? I I don't know where I saw it, but for some reason, I was watching the Dutch team play back in the, the Naskin days and how they pressed in numbers, hard, really hard at players, forcing errors, forcing turnovers. That's what I saw happening a little bit. And it happened right away. And I, I know everybody is talking about Aronson. He's quick. He anticipates. He cuts off angles. Um, he's a clean player, too. He, you know, he, he doesn't do anything extra or anything, but... What I was watching was Tyler Adams. Look, that's I was a midfielder. You do a lot of stuff off the ball that nobody appreciates. Oh, my God, the amount of ground the dude covered. Um, you know, you talk about the principles of defense. Uh, sometimes if your, ball, if your man receives the ball and gets the turn, you've, you've already lost two or three of the principles, right? I mean, you haven't, cut, you haven't taken the pass over. You haven't cut mm-hmm. off the angle. I, I mean, the stuff he does off the ball is just unbelievable. That's not noticed, I'd say, by the average fan. But you, as a coach, did you notice that? You must have. Yeah, he covers a ton of ground, and he's really he's gotten better and better and better at it. Uh, to be fair, the way they play and the way they press suits him so well because he can just be a, you know a viper in there because he understands where the pressure is. He understands where most likely the next ball is going to be played. A lot of what Jesse does is about creating pressure, and you know he'll talk about a shadow behind the pressure. You meaning like what are the angles from which you could probably cannot play through? 
you know, as if there was a light shining on me and there's a shadow behind me, those are areas that the ball couldn't go. So if we all press in certain ways and there are X number of shadows and the ball probably has to go into these other areas and he's a viper and just steps into these areas and wins a ton of balls and not only wins them, but plays it forward. And it's just those first 45 minutes, arguably not sustainable because it's just that fast and that much running. Right. Um, but, but it's all they needed to blitz Chelsea and get the lead and to put, I don't think there's a team that could handle that kind of pressure. So it really brings up an interesting dynamic is like, how sustainable is it? You know, he's obviously come up through, uh, you know, Red Bull New York, which is the first time I was a guest of Jesse's uh, at his Red Bull New York training back, you know, years ago and and got to see a very, very young Tyler Adams at training. And he stood out then. So everything you're talking about now, this is he's been doing this for years. So it's really nice to see him do it on a big stage. You know, I, 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 you know, uh, pause to not say this because of my old roommate, teammate, Desmond Armstrong, people would say I was fiery. They'd say he's athletic, um, you, you know, like it was a racial thing, but it's his athleticism that I see. He's just a, a good athlete, great, great decision-making. Um, to go back to Aronson, though, on the other side of the ball, um, pressed hard. You know, he lost, he, he gave the ball away. Mm-hmm. Where, uh, uh, he gave the ball away and it was immediate chase, which you, you try to coach into players as well. When you lose the ball, you don't hang your head, you move and, and try to make something happen. And that's exactly what he did. But to talk about your point about working that hard, that's what basically the announcers were saying over here. Uh, English announcers with just sarcasm dripping off their voice uh, in the beginning. Oh, well, today Chelsea's going to be a very different test for Jesse Marsh. And he's, it was like, oh, really? Mm-hmm. what I've heard all, all the time. Um, but look, they don't have the talent that Liverpool has by any stretch of the imagination. But they said that about Liverpool. They can't keep up that pace for that long when you have these you know, Mane was was pressing hard. Salah was pressing hard. Uh, Firmino was pressing hard. And they said, like, that's what I loved about watching Liverpool a little bit. It's like you had all the players, all 11, buying into it. Um, and, it, you know, Liverpool was able to sustain many, many games at that pace. And I think these guys are a little younger, fierier. Um, yeah, the season yeah. is young. So. Yeah, Liverpool, uh, you know, the, all these things you're talking about counter-pressing, which is, you know, pressing as soon as you lose the ball. And, and so, you know, it, it, a lot of this comes from Germany and, and Klopp is a part of that. And Jesse's, you know, coaching uh, background leads through Germany as well. So he's picked up a lot of these kinds of things. Different than Bielsa, which was more man-to-man and high-press all over the place based on the actual assignment of who you have. This is more positional play. So there you're pretty much in your zones all the time. Um, but the reaction of Aronson when he loses that ball, I mean, that's just what they do. That's their game ball. So they're going to press right away and try to win it back right away. And it really disrupts teams and doesn't allow you to hold on to the ball. Klopp does it with Liverpool. City does it as well. Barca did it back in the day with Pep. They all do it. But to be fair, Liverpool's had to adjust a little bit because you can do that against lesser opponents, but against City, you have to hold on to the ball as well because if you don't, they will and, and they won't right. lose it. And so that's where, you know, that's probably the one team that has for, forced Liverpool to adjust a little bit. Um, but going back to Aronson, you know, I, I just don't see how he doesn't play in the World Cup as a starter. I just don't right. see it. To me, it's clear. It should be Pulisic with Aronson. And Reyna, those are the three different players uh, that I think can make, you know, a, a good group of three. It doesn't fit exactly the game model that that Berhalter has, but those are the best three, you know, in, put, in terms of putting them on the field. He's got to find a way to do that. Well, and, and that's the big, you know, argument, that, you know, all, everybody's talking about that right now. But what about 
I mean, you look like an Aronson coming in or the way Pulisic is used or basically not used at this point at Chelsea, but that kind of spark, that 65th minute, 70th minute player comes in with that sort of pace, that sort of quickness can sort of upset the apple cart. Um, do you, do you hold one of them out, rotate them in and out, uh, to sort of keep a freshness, um, yeah. or do you, you know, you know, yeah, I mean, in a World Cup cycle, it's different because you have three games in a certain amount of time. So you have to like pre-script some kind of a rotation. You know, going back to Leeds, uh, they don't have to do that. They just go day in, day out, but they train that way. That is how who they are and how they are. And I think it was said in the commentary here in, in, in the States, which is that it's very clear what kind of player they have to have. They have to have a very young player who can run all right. day and can regenerate quickly and all that kind of stuff. So you couldn't necessarily do that with some of the more veteran players out there. Um, so there's a dynamic that they've built into, but they built the roster in that direction. And all the pieces that Jesse added to the roster are players that can play in that style. And I, I have to let, you know, I just have to say like that for, first 45 minutes was, you don't see that very often, you know, and right. even in the second half, they didn't abandon their thoughts just because they were winning. They still kept to their game model, found different ways to maybe hold on to the ball a little bit more. But Chelsea looked extremely uncomfortable. And I, you don't say that. Yeah. yeah. I, I think for me, I was quite surprised. Uh, and and in a, in a good way, I was surprised that they kept their foot on the accelerator, played the same way they had played in, this, in the first half and continued continue to put pressure on them. Um, because, yeah, what you do is you get up a goal or two, you sit back, and then it's just you're just absorbing pressure for the rest, uh, you know, for the full 45. And, and eventually you give up a goal and then everything, you know, the momentum twists. So uh, I was impressed with that. I was also impressed with the way they knocked it around. It's not like they were just kind of clearing it and kicking it out. Um, they, they were knocking it around. There, there was some good stuff there offensively. Yeah, they use the goalkeeper a lot when they can't play out. And, and uh, you know, he does a good job of using his feet, and he's not shy about playing long if he has to. So he just, yeah. you know, they get out of danger when they need to. Uh, they don't overplay. And at the same time, they're so mobile that they close their zones really quickly when they have to play big. And so they're allowed to they're – they're good at being able to stay compact almost the entire game. But man, what a lot of energy Jesse put into it from the sideline. Did you see that? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he had to take a shower afterwards. Are you kidding me? But you know, you brought up Tuchel. Uh man, he seems to be losing his shit a little bit. I mean, first of all, I don't know why he was on the sidelines because he got red carded. Um, the guys behind the bar were saying, Yeah, well, they, he appealed the card. And sometimes if the appeal doesn't go through, you get suspended for two games. Uh, I don't know how you appeal that red card. Uh, we all saw it. It's on television. They they got in a fight, basically. The two two coaches. It's you know you you red carded for the next game. It's just the way it is. I love these guys. They always appeal. It's like yeah. somebody murders something on you know on, on camera. Like well, what? What are you talking about? He he walked into the axe. <laughs> you know, yeah, a good player. No, I mean, and Jesse had to talk about it. He talked about it midweek, and then he changed his tune by by game day. You know, midweek is like, how could he possibly be on the bench? He got a red card, and then, you know, everywhere in the world in football, when you get a red card, you miss the next game. So, what could we possibly be appealing here? Uh, but to his credit, I, you know, I, I think in a smart way, he got off the topic on game day, and when he was asked it, you know, he just said, ah, whatever. You know, if he's there, he's there. It's not going to change what we have to do. Um, you know, so he just kind of took you know, a different tact, which I thought was really smart just to stay focused on the match itself. Yeah, he didn't it, want to build an excuse. Exactly. Look, you know that as a coach, I mean, you're, you're the things you say the day after and then the things you say the day before, totally different. Your team's in a different mindset. You're in a different mindset. And knowing Jesse Marsh, he's, he's had a few red cards in his life. So I think he, he probably understands that. So uh, it was interesting watching the game here in Scotland, because first of all, it, I think the Premier League started a, a couple hours before some of the bigger games started here in, in, uh, in Scotland. And I did that radio show 
uh, on the ball. How was it? It was really different. Uh, I got to say, first of all, you know, they're telling me, uh, you know, you you have a connection to Nantucket, so we're going to do a limerick, write a limerick. And I'm like, all right, well, it's BBC Scotland. I can't I can't write a a dirty one. You know, the Nantucket limericks are always dirty, right? I can't can't do that. And then they wanted to ask (laughs) me about fans walking out and then something else. They wanted three things they wanted and all three things they didn't ask me. So it's Hmm. funny. They record it live in front of probably 350 people under this sort of tent in the the middle of Edinburgh. And I was the first guest up because the show started at 12.05. I have to be on stage 20 minutes away at one o'clock. Mm. So they wanted me as a guy. I go, if you have me a guest, you have to have me on first. So I I think they were a little miffed that I like made a counter proposal. Right. uh, Because it's a big show over here. So I get there and um, they call me up and I I get applause and they come up and I take the seat. And um, they don't talk to me for 15 minutes, literally 15 minutes. They don't say a word. And someone said to me, you know, don't be like a boisterous American cutting people off with what they're saying. I'm like, oh. They said that to you? Yeah. And one of the associate producer. He's like, oh, yeah, usually Americans are a little more boisterous. Wow, like, that's not a general comment. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can say it about Americans, I guess. So um, I got up there and Chris, I, I, I could not understand them. They were, <laughs> everybody's laughing and they're making jokes and I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can hear a word. I can hear a word there. I, I felt like the kid in Animal House on the couch, <laughs> you know, the porn kid just sitting there. It was like a, I was like a foreign exchange student at a school on the first day of school. And no one, you know, everybody. How did you play of, it? What did you, did you laugh along? Did you just say, yeah, or did you say, I just no. tried to get in. I just tried to get in once or yeah. twice early and they completely ignored me. So I, I was like, you know what? I, I'll just sit back and um, I'll just, I'll just kick back, which is hard for me as you yeah. know. I just sit back and put my arm up on the couch and I just watch these two guys speak in some basically foreign language. I felt like, and um, I think one of the producers sent them a note to say, Hey, how about including Kevin in the show? And then the, the guy turns and is like, Kevin, boy, you know, so they asked me, they said, Oh, well, you're the only play only person we've ever had on the show or probably in the world who's been on sex in the city and has played soccer with Pele. And I was like, Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Never mentioned that in the pre-screen. Never, not, you know, nothing. Wow. You know, I, I told him the Sex in the City story, which I've, I've told. I think probably told in the show before. They, um, and then they wanted to know how I played with Pele, how I played with Naskins, and I, I gave them that story. So they both both stories went over really well. I got I won the crowd over. A bunch of them came to my play on the next couple of days. But my God, what culture shock! And then they asked me, they asked me what's my favorite, you know. Uh, football team. We call it football here. You don't say soccer. And I'm like, well, that's an English accent. But I said, mm. well, if I say soccer to a Scottish guy or an English guy, they'll go, do you mean football or American football? I'm like, so I go, so I say football. And then you think I mean American football because I'm an American. So really the bad assumption is on your part. Didn't go over very well. Yeah, that didn't go over well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it didn't go kind of like here on this show. And then, so, uh, so basically, uh, they had that and then they asked me what my favorite Scottish football team was. And I said, look, I, I, I like and follow some of the teams that have American players. Tillman's on there and, and, um, uh, Ian Harks is playing over here. I said, but I guess probably my team would be uh, Celtic, you know? And he goes, <laughs> everybody goes, Whoa, they all groan. Mm. And I kind of look around at 350 people and he goes, mm, yes. 
that's my name's Flynn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm like, apparently it was a Catholic thing. So I'm kind of like, oh, an Irish Catholic guy. That's that's who we supposed to we're supposed to support. But yeah. We've had a good history of American players playing uh, playing for Celtics. So. Yeah, but it's it's Celtic Rangers, right? It's Protestant Catholic. Yeah, yeah. Right, that's right. that's so, just how it is, and that's that's fierce. Yeah, and uh, I kind of walked right into that one because you know we yeah. don't talk politics in America. I will say this: people aren't talking politics in America uh, in mixed crowds anymore. They're not doing it here either. There's they're just everybody gets their voice gets really low. We don't know what's going on in the country. <laughs> I said, look, man, we're going through the same thing. Um, Did you make like it to said, the show on time, your show? Oh, that's the other thing. I got on a scooter, uh, a little electric scooter, mm. and it was raining out, and it, the, the, the buses here do not stop for no man, and it was unbelievable. People walking, you know, jaywalking. I'm almost hitting them, but I got, I got there five minutes before showtime, sweating my ass off. I looked like a, a mass murderer walking in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can kill again. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but the, the show went well. You mentioned this early in the show, how this is, in a way, these are legit good players and a great coach, great players. Um, it's also, if you think about it, in a secondary sort of tertiary level, our producer, Ken Park, loves when I use that word, but a marketing strategy because I'm watching Leeds now and I'm rooting for Leeds um, because these, these young guys, I can keep track of them. I can watch them on, on Saturday or Sunday. They're part of the national team pool. So it's uh, it's more exciting, and I, I guarantee you, more kids are going to be watching them. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's happened somewhat organically, right? Because when when Bielsa leaves, they don't want to change the game model too much. There's only a short list of coaches that can come in and do something somewhat similar. As Jesse was one of those names, and then as he transitions the roster, and now you've added a few more Americans, it, it's become the American team in the in the Premier League, you know. And that's uh, I think organic, but at the same time, kind of cool how that's happened. And they're young players, so who's to say that they won't stay together for, for a few years there? And if they can get some traction here in the U.S., you know, it could be the de facto team for us. Um, let's talk about Chelsea for just a second, because I am concerned about Pulisic. Everybody's singing, will he leave? Will he move? There's been talk about maybe Manchester United. Uh, I don't think he should move at this point, uh, but I don't know what's happened to Chelsea. They just, they look, they look, I don't think it was just Leeds that did that. They made a lot of personnel changes um, that I don't quite understand. Uh, it was a Cuccinelli, I think, on the, the outside back. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I just didn't see, I, you know, Lukaku's gone. It, it just didn't seem like Chelsea at all. Even Juninho couldn't really quite get anything going. Couldn't even get the ball at his feet. Yeah, I mean, all you got to do is change one or two players and the dynamic changes. So you have Koulibaly back there, you know, that, okay, now the line has to work differently and Thiago Silva has to learn how to play with him. And, you know, th there are changes to it. So, you know, it, it, they're humans. And so they have, they take some time to, to gel. And the preseason's not long enough. Um, it takes usually a good month or two into the season for a team to actually still work on the gelling part of things. So yeah. every team is in, in progress. Um, you know, Pulisic, I don't know. My, my instinct is he should go. You know, I, I think how things went down at the end of last year with social media and his father, I mean, it's hard to have the same respect with a coach after that stuff goes down. And, you know, the coach, of course, is going to not address it and ride past it. But, uh, you know, somewhere deep down, the coach is like, what are we talking about here? I'm dealing with his dad on social media. You know, so I, I don't know if that's the right thing. You know, it could be somewhat innocent from the Pulisic side of things. I'm sure there's two sides of the story. 
but maybe there's, you know, enough damage done that a change of scenery would do better. He doesn't seem to be a primary player for them. So now it's a matter of, do you stay on a massive team like Chelsea or, or make a change and, and try to, you know, get more playing time in a different team. And then there's the dynamic of what the club wants. Do they want to keep them and loan them or do they want to actually sell them? You know, so I think this is a lot of this is to be determined and I'm yeah. not sure how much he's pushing from the inside. You know, I mean, only the really the family and the agents know. It's tough to tell what would be the best decision. I, I guarantee you he's probably wondering why he wasn't playing for Leeds on, on Saturday or whatever Sunday. But um, it's so close to the cup that something has to happen. Um, something has to happen. So, uh, you know, look. Let's talk a little bit. Of Something has to happen for him, but not for yeah. Chelsea. Chelsea doesn't. Right, care. and not for Tuchel. Yeah, uh, Chelsea doesn't. Start care. winning some games, right? Yeah. So I think, well, that might speak to your point about maybe he has to move because nothing will change there. Because even when he was playing, being impactful, coming on in the 75th minute, scoring a goal and an assist in the 15 minutes he'd have in the, on the pitch, uh, he still wasn't getting uh, on the pitch early. Uh, earlier than that so yeah he does all right when he gets his chances and his confidence is high which is normal for any young player but he's starting to get out of the young player you know it's how long do you stamp him as a young player like he's kind of been around now and now it's that stage where you know the next step in his evolution is is putting his feet in the ground and becoming an everyday player at the highest level and you know he's had a hard time getting that at Chelsea. Let's just let's just be fair but at the same time he gets great training every day he gets right enough matches where Okay, maybe it's not going to make him super sharp for the World Cup, but you know he he is playing for the Yankees, quote unquote. You know, right? So you know, there's something to be said for that. And then once you go to those other teams, uh, it's a different world, and it's hard to leave Chelsea. You know, when you when you get that when when you get that seat at the table, it's hard to leave. Right, right. So okay, so let's stay in the national team here. I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Uh, there seems to be a little striker lottery going on. Uh, guys are finding their form. I don't know if it's because November looms large in their minds, but a lot of players putting the ball in the back of the net. Um, Josh Sargent has certainly improved. Uh, he's got three goals in, what, two games, I think, two of the games. Um, still don't think he's there, personally. I, I, I like this kid. I like his work ethic. I like what he tries to do. He just doesn't seem athletic enough at that level, though he seems to be adjusting. He's won. Peapock, Hadi Wright. Uh, Ricardo Pepe is not even getting any time. He was the golden boy there for a bit. Um, Jesus Ferreira is putting up some goals. Jazzy Zardes could be in the mix, especially with Burhalter there. He's got four four goals so far. Heard about Altidore scores a goal in Mexico. They're talking about him again. Uh, Brendan Vasquez, a couple of goals in the MLS, and then Daryl DK. So what do you do as a coach, Chris? I mean, how do you – because these guys aren't going to get an opportunity – to get a start, you know, to get on the roster uh, with Burhalter, they've got to play where they're playing, and they've got to impress from afar. Yeah, you got a couple of things going on at the same time. You know, you got to figure out how you're most likely going to play tactically, and then you build a roster backwards from there. You know, how many forwards you need, how many midfielders, et cetera, et cetera, and how many people can play more than one position, and you know, how, who gets who gets the final spots on the roster. You know, that you know, I, I, for me, it's. Look, I've been saying this for a long time, but for me, it's it's a version of Aronson and Reyna and Pulisic up top as three. Um, it's a little bit different than what his game model is, but those three guys it maybe don't have a true number nine in there, but they're very mobile. They're very creative. And for me, they make plays. Those guys make have the ability to make some plays instead of something that's pretty down the middle. Um, and from there, then that allows you to play 
you know, your MMA midfield, and then you have your back line. And I think that's the best version of the U.S. Now, who the other forwards are, okay, maybe now you're looking for something different, someone who might be more of a target in the box, someone right. who might be a set-piece person for us, things like that. So it's a question of how fit and mobile those players are, because if they are fit and mobile, there's no reason why they can't play the majority of the minutes in all three first-round games. So, well, so you know tactically, you know, what you're talking about more, but... um does he have, is his system with a true number nine? I mean, do you have a holdup player? That's what he wants card? to do. Yeah, like yeah. If, if he opened up his textbook, it probably has that. But, you know, it's yeah. for me, it's about, you know, you always got to adjust and, and you got to like scrap what some of your plans are sometimes in order to put the best players on the field, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, you don't have to do it that way. You could do it the other way, but then you're now jeopardizing not having your best players on the field and then having the right. model you know, within a game, which sometimes you want to do that, but you want to do it on your terms, not because you have to. Yeah. So all the guys I mentioned too almost seem like target players. Sorry. Yeah. Pifak, Pepe, uh, Ferreira, not really Zardis, Josie sort of, and Daryl DK. Um, yeah, but that's interesting. I, my worry, uh, Chris, is those three guys, all three of them that you mentioned up top there are sort of slight. Mm -hmm. sure. uh, and I don't know if they're going to be durable enough for a full World Cup. And that's where I would talk about whether you do have that target man taking some of the hits like a DK or a Pepe, um, you know, playing with their back to the net, having these guys run off them and you just sort of rotate them a little bit. Yeah. Aronson just played against Chelsea. It doesn't get yeah. bigger than that. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, you know, the, these are footballers and they, they need you have to trust that, you know, the, that the, they have the ability and the understanding of how to play and move and hopefully prevent certain things. But I mean, I just think you're looking at it, you, you know, you can't look at it from just a physical point of view. Maybe you right. look at it from, hey, okay, if we did that, we're going to be smaller on set pieces. Um, so fair enough. There is a point to be made there. But I don't think we have that luxury. Like, I think we need to put our absolute best on the field. You know, we're not the number one team in the world. We're a team that has to maximize the talent that we do have. Um, so I, I don't know. I see it that way. They're young. They have good engines. I think they could play a lot of minutes. And if you gave them a lot of that time, they can create some continuity. And I think it might be the best version of ourselves. But that would be different than what, you know, Berhalter has been doing, where he he, he likes the idea of a nine as a yeah. as a reference point. Um, but that so it changes the game model a little bit. And I'm not sure he'd be willing to do that because then it it does transfer over to, you know, how they press and the positional aspects to that. And so there's a trade-off there that he'd have to kind of wrap his arm around to to go into that direction. Right. And you got, you know, uh, other guys way uh, a few other things. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. And it's just so odd because the timetable is so different. It's November that we're looking at. So every, everything is sort of popped up here and somebody has to make these decisions. Um, so anyway, how you, uh, have you opened up yet or what have you, you started the season? Yeah. College soccer is underway. Um, the you had your first game. Yeah, we yeah for us we had a tie in the first game, which is uh, you know a good decent start. Um, but yeah, women's soccer division one has started. Division two is about to start. So it's we're excited to be back in the field. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, yeah. Who's up next for you guys? Uh, we got University of Washington, Cal State Northridge. We got a lot of a lot of teams coming through here in the beginning. Dude, you got a hell of a schedule, man. It's not like you're taking it easy. No, um, no, we have we have big ones. It's it's going to be tough. Uh, all right. Well, uh, best of luck with that. Well, congrats to you and the women's Thanks. program. That's a, uh, you know, that's a point. Um, yeah. I think uh, here, you know, it was funny at being at this 
this bar where they had all the games on Scottish games as well. And people were pretty, you know, fired up for that. It was, it was interesting to watch how the Scottish league plays as a premier league. It's rougher. It's more, you know, I 95 up and down a little bit, um, good skilled players, but boy, they closed down so fast. Um, they just, they kicked the shit out of each other. It's kind of unbelievable to watch. Yeah. More were there fans for Chelsea the the match? I'm sorry. Were there fans? There, there, there was, but he was, he's just moved back to Scotland. He worked on wall street. He worked in London and I go, well, of course you're a Chelsea fan, but all the bartenders, all Arsenal fans and man, are they loving life right now? They said they've waited so long. They had faith in Arteta. Um, they really think they're that, that he's, you know, they're playing good, attractive soccer and yet putting up some wins at the top of the table. So they were, they were, uh, they were excited here. So. Yeah. I'm always interested in the, the dynamic, you know, in, in that part of the world of, you know, who supports who and, you know, where the, the little synergies are like, you know, I heard recently that, I think it was Paul McCartney was speaking and I heard him talk about how, you know, Liverpool is, you know, in a joking way, the, the capital of Ireland, you know what I mean? So right, it's like, right. there's these bridges that, that they connect to. And, and then, then obviously it affects the football fandom, you know? And so it's interesting. I was curious, like, Hey, who do you support and why? Like what the story right. is. And we don't have any of the history there. So that's why I basically walked into that question. You know, if I had thought about it a little bit more, I would have like taken somebody from the bottom of the table or the middle of the table. Um, but I didn't know. I had forgotten all about the the Celtics Rangers thing. Um, you have Liverpool Everton, you know, across the park there. The two stadiums. It's just amazing all the history. And uh, hey, you know, the exciting part is as Americans, we're now we are now part of it. Um, we're making some history over here, as we did uh, this past weekend. Uh, more and more players uh, are coming across the pond, as Brendan Aronson said in his post game interview. Um, and I just kept telling a lot of the the guys uh, here. We get so much soccer now. We get everything. And they just were envious of us, of Americans, about how much soccer we get. And yeah. how a lot of it, uh, with NBC's contract, it's, a long, you know, it's basic, basic cable. A lot of the games, not all of them, but a lot. Yeah. So, uh, they yeah. get none. And, you know, no, we're lucky that way with our TV contracts. And, and we have players all. And, and again, I think this is where I think the, the Jesse part is so important, is Jesse Marsh doing well there, is that if he can truly establish himself with a good year or two, you know, it's going to open up more doors for more American coaches and across Europe and the other leagues. And, yeah. you know, that's something that I think is the next chapter to our evolution. We've, we've kind of flooded the leagues with players. Um, we've gotten players to Juventus and Chelsea and some of these big teams. And, and now it's can the coaches get there as well. So it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, I, uh, I reached out to, to Grail Hallett, my old co-host here, because he's a huge Chelsea fan. And I just said, how did you... You know, how are you, you know, who are you rooting for? Because, I mean, for Jesse Marsh as an American, the two American players, he's like, look, we've always had a big rivalry with Leeds. He goes, I'll always support Leeds when I'm not, when they're not playing Chelsea. Um, so it was fun. And I've always followed Leeds since uh, the Who album, Live at Leeds. Yeah, there you um, go. We weren't born yet, man. So, all right, Chamities, man, good talking to you. Good getting caught up. Congratulations to your team. Uh, that's great. Um, you know, uh, longest journey starts with the first step. Seems like you guys have done it. Long season coming up, um, so you got a long way to go, but that's a great start, just like just like Jesse Marsh and uh, and Leeds. So, all right, everybody, that's all the time we have today on Over the Ball for Chris Shamides. I'm Kevin Flynn. We'll talk to you next time, everyone, on OTB. Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247. 